If you've got a Bible near you, open it up to Jeremiah chapter 1, and there's also message notes. If you didn't see those on the way in, you're welcome to get up out of your seats and head back tables in the back there. It's kind of where we're stacking uh, the notes. Um, as you come in the doors on Sunday, you can pick those up, um, or if you don't want to grab them now, you can grab them on the way out the door. And then the kiosk out in the atrium has previous Sunday's notes. We keep a month or so's worth because we know a lot of folks coming and going um, you can pick those up as well. And those joining online, your online host will direct you to how you can access the notes electronically there. Well, this morning, uh, I want to talk about from Jeremiah 1. We're in this journey, right? We're reading through the Bible together. We're teaching through the Bible together. And we've been in with the prophets for the last few weeks. And, you know, the prophets, it can be a bit of a grind depending on what stretch you're at there. And those of you who've been trucking through the Bible with us, doing the Bible app, if you got off track, guilt-free, just jump back in, just like tomorrow. Just, just come back, like Austin was saying. When you kind of get in a place, you just, just work the muscle of coming back. So jump back in. And we're in Jeremiah 1 today. And I want to look at this place in the spiritual life or just life in general. If you live enough life, you're going to hit the place where you say, God, are you sure? You been there? God, are you sure? It was uh, several years ago, Hunter Smith and I were in Sarajevo, Bosnia with Petula Myers, our missionary who serves there in Sarajevo. She's an amazing young lady. Petula, we love you. She, she joins us online, but usually later in the day with the time change. But Petula, we're standing with you. We're praying for you. And, and Petula lives in a part of the world that's uh, much different than, than our spiritual climate here, as challenging as we have it in North America. Petula lives in a place where, you know, it's really, really hard to find a local group of believers to even gather with and to get together and be in God's Word together. Uh, you could pack most of the evangelical Christians in Bosnia, you could get them all in this room right here, around five to 600, they say, across a country of three million people. So Petula is there trying to be a light for Jesus, and Hunter and I went over, and we were just trying to encourage her and her team for several days, and, and Petula had this idea. She said, uh, Hunter, there's a local Bosnian football team. Did you know that? Bosnia-Herzegovina has a national football team. Hunter remembers this clearly because he says, I, I, they're going to be practicing while you're here. Would you guys go over and maybe share a few words? And Hunter, maybe you can run them through some football drills or something. You know, Hunter played 12 years in the, in the NFL. You know, he's, and Hunter's like, yeah, that sounds like a good thing to do. So we show up at the Bosnia National Football Team practice. Now, I don't know what you have in your head right now, but it's not anywhere near what you think of even what might be called middle school or flag football practice, whatever that looks like in your head, all right? We show up, and if I need to let Hunter tell this story, really, but, but Hunter talks about how we were watching him do some drills, and Hunter leaned over to me, and he says, there's a basic problem here. I said, what is that? He says, they don't have any talent. <laughs> I said, he said, look closely. He said, they don't have basic ball skills. Like, and then we started examining it. Well, the more we got to know them, and Hunter was working with them, that they grew up playing soccer. So everything they did is with their feet. Well, guess what football, American football was, like, they would throw, and the ball, like, they couldn't catch it. And these are like adult men who you look like just, now throwing would be like, he says, well, who's the quarterback? Because he couldn't tell. And then, um, yeah, so we went through the whole thing, and Hunter tried to help him out, but with basic ball skills, running, running catching, uh, throwing, 
And uh, so this is the national football. Big, big rivalry weekend. We were there for the big rivalry game. They're going to play Serbia that weekend. So they wanted to be coached up to take it to Serbia. And Hunter's like, there's just no possible way that this crew is even going to. And it was like, I think we heard later, 62 to zero. So we, we didn't help them a whole lot. So after practice, the team says, hey, would you come hang out with us for our post-practice gathering? Well, we said, what's that look like? I said, well, just come with us. And so literally the whole Bosnian football team, they just grab all their gear, which their gear, they don't have like equipment guys or anything. They just have like a burlap sack that they throw all their sweaty stuff in, sling it over there, and they just start walking off the field. And we just followed them. They go to a cafe. They sit down in a cafe. And I'm not kidding you, all 35 members of the Bosnian football team all light up cigarettes and just start smoking like a smokestack. You remember this, Hunter? <laughs> We're just sitting there like, well, this is a nice post-practice ritual, <laughs> not helping their cardiovascular development. <laughs> oh, next time you lead worship, Hunter, you've got to fill in all the gaps that I missed because it was just classic, classic, classic. But point is, we're there in Bosnia trying to help Petula and her team and evidently tried to help the football team a little bit. And then we met this young guy named Pastor Nano. And Pastor Nano was there in Sarajevo, told us his story about how he came to Jesus. He was maybe 27, 28 years old. And he told, and Hunter and I were just asking him, hey, tell us about your church, tell us about what's going on, tell us how we can be praying for you. And Pastor Nano, he said this line. He said, quote, we don't have any margin for half-hearted commitments, for a casualness about the mission at hand. Here's the line. Because... There are so few of us. Because there are so few of us. No casualness, no half-heartedness. So he was telling Hunter and I about the message he was preaching and the discipleship work he was trying to do with his little group of believers there. And, and when I heard that line and I was working in Jeremiah preparing for this message, I thought, you know, that could be like a logo that would be sewn on the prophet's polos because there are so few of us. Or maybe engraved on the front of their scrolls would have that engraved on it. Because remember last week with Isaiah, we were in prophet Isaiah, and he ministered for 51 years across four kings. And for the most part, he didn't get to see much spiritual fruit, very little. And how did his life end? He was sawed in two at the order of King Manasseh. Because there are so few of us. And then Nahum and Zephaniah step in after Isaiah was executed. They step in and try to carry the prophet's mantle, try to keep his character before the kings. And for about 50 years, they're carrying that until a young man named Josiah takes the throne of leadership in Judah. Josiah, he's a beacon of light. If you remember our prophets and kings handouts, those are available to you as well, but it's a little grid of like, well, what about the prophets and the kings and who was godly and who wasn't? And we know 8 for 20 in the south were godly, 0 for 19 in the north. Josiah has one of those godly marks by his name. He starts leading the nation of Judah back towards the Lord and back towards seeking God and humbling themselves under his name. And it was, a, you get hopefulness in there. And then Josiah at the age of 43 goes out into a battle and he's killed in battle. And you go, oh, if you've read through this part of the story, you just go, oh, Lord, it took so long to get a king who was going to stand up for you, and now at 43, he's dead. 
What are you doing, Lord? God, are you sure? And then you want to guess what happens after Josiah was killed on the battlefield? What do you think the next line of kings, how do you think they handled it? They revert back, unfortunately. They don't follow the footsteps of Josiah. They kind of go back to the ways of serving themselves over serving God and the people. They're really interested in seeking God, and it's a very dark time, difficult time. Judah, remember, is just a small little remnant. Geographically, it's just a small little territory. And the ten northern tribes, you know, there's two little southern tribes called Judah. And there are these big nations around them called Egypt and Assyria and Babylon, and they keep getting bigger, and they keep having their eyes set on this little territory called Judah and say, we're going to take this territory out. So that's what's going on. Into that setting, God taps a young man named Jeremiah on the shoulder. He says, God, I pick you. If anybody in that setting, we'd feel this response. Are you sure? That's where we see in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. Look in your notes there on the screens here. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth and the territory of Benjamin. So there's Jeremiah, right? From the land of Anathoth, from the tribe of Benjamin, singing the theme song of God. There are so few of us. It's Jeremiah the weeping prophet. He wrote the book of Lamentations, wrote his book called Jeremiah. Here's a picture of uh, Michelangelo. This is how he painted Jeremiah on the Sistine Chapel in Rome. I wonder if uh, that's a posture anyone's been finding themselves in these days. That's a little picture of someone's emotional, mental, physical world these days. Jeremiah looking at the ground, hand on the face, deep sighing. Can you picture that? It's Jeremiah. It's a picture of kind of towards the end of the run, how he might have some scars uh, from this scene in Jeremiah 1. So Anathoth is three miles north of Jerusalem. So there's your kind of geographically where you are. That's Jeremiah's hometown. And while he's in his hometown, just kind of minding his own business, the word of the Lord comes to him. And here's a little summary, and I put this in your notes. God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I pick you. Jeremiah says, I think you got the wrong number. God says, I think I've always had your number. And Jeremiah says, I think you got the wrong number. And God says, I'm getting ready to revolutionize and reorient the whole world, and guess who's going to join me? And when you're sovereign, capital S, you don't have to shout. Now, sovereign's a Bible word for God's power, authority. He's on the throne, reigning and ruling. He's in control of all things, always, all of the time. That's what the Bible term sovereign Lord means. And there's a lot of folks who try to be sovereign when they're not sovereign, small s sovereign under one, capital S sovereign. There can only be one sovereign Lord by definition. And the sovereign Lord comes to you and I and taps on the shoulder and says, I pick you. And like Jeremiah, uh, we might say, uh, are you sure? Are you sure, Lord? Verse 4, here's how, the, here's how the dialogue goes. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah says. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Underline, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Underline, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Underline, I appointed you. Oh, sovereign Lord. Do you see that? If you're Jeremiah, that's about the only thing you're hanging on to right now is, oh, sovereign Lord. 
I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. We'll come back to that. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. When the Lord reached out His hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to underline uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow, to build, and to plant. So this would be the space where Jeremiah… God, are you sure? Jeremiah just minding his own business, right? He's in his hometown, probably preparing, maybe going to go to seminary, prepare for the priesthood, maybe start a family, just do what a young man at Anathoth would do, and then God comes to him and taps him on the shoulder. And three phrases here that I want us to look at, I had you underline them. He first says, I knew you. Did you see that? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Listen to what Eugene Peterson says about this. I put this quote in your notes. We are known before we know. No longer do we need to run here and there, panicked and anxious, searching for answers to life. Our lives are not puzzles to be figured out. Rather, hear this, we come to God who knows us and reveals to us the truths of our lives. The fundamental mistake is to begin with ourselves and not God. God is the center from which all life develops. If we use our ego as the center from which to plot the geometry of our lives, we live eccentrically. So translated, right? Jeremiah, you have a choice here. You can make your life about the small, brief story of you, or you're going to heed and you're going to get drafted in to this grand, epic, eternal story of God. And same choice for us today. And God says, I see you. I know you. Before you could ever utter a word, I see you and I know you. And I've got plans for you. I've got purpose for you. I've appointed you. Do you see the next thing? I set you apart. Do you see that? I set you apart. Before we're ever good at doing anything (laughs) at all, God says, I've actually chosen you. Before I saw whatever you've got to offer, I, I, I picked you. You were consecrated to him before you could utter a word about him. And to that, Jeremiah says what perhaps we might be saying, O sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. We come down with a healthy case of the I'm onlys with God. That's when you know you've hit a space where he might be tapping, he might be nudging, he might be pointing, he might be pushing you to a space where you're just not quite sure as you, you kind of say, well, I'm… Oh, sovereign Lord, I'm only, I'm only a student. I'm only like a, an analyst. I'm only a, a sales manager. I'm only a small business owner. I'm only a mechanic or a, a plumber. I'm only a… And, I'm, and God, I'm not, I'm not old enough. I, I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not strong enough. It's a, it's a case of the I'm onlys and the not enoughs. And when we're focused on what we bring into the equation and what we bring to the table, you get a healthy dose of this, of the I'm onlys and the not enoughs. And yet when Hunter and I were sitting with Pastor Nano, here's what was clear with looking in the eyes of that young man, the circumstances he was in, because there are so few of us, there's no possible way he was relying on his, what he brings to the table. 
Because the shift comes when, if, you can get, if we can get our eyes off the small, brief story of us, preoccupied with what we do or do not bring to the equation, and lift them up like Isaiah, right, where you lift your eyes up. you got to look up first. In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the real king was on the throne, right, whose train of the robe fills the temple, who's surrounded by six-winged seraph angels who are crying with a holy passion inside him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You look up and you see that God is on his throne. He's reigning. He's ruling. He's the one who tapped. That God, I pick you. And when you do that, your if-onlys and your not-enoughs, they kind of loosen their grip a bit, and they get replaced with a, a with God. That picture of of God with us, that the I'm not enough gets replaced, but, but God is uh, with me. And if God be for me, who can be against me? And as I put in your notes, uh, I like to come back to this principle often, that it seems the storyline of the Bible is that God and anybody is a majority. That seems to me the storyline. Now, it doesn't work. It's not great math, but it's great discipleship, great follow. God and anybody's a majority, like God and Moses… 80-year-old Moses, can lead a nation who's been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. God and Moses are going to do that. And he drafts in 83-year-old Aaron just to add the stack to it, right? So that's a majority, right? God and Joshua can actually lead the people into the promised land, and God and Isaiah can withstand four kings across 51 years and even an execution at the hands of one of those kings. And now God and Jeremiah, God says, uh, God, Jeremiah, we're going to turn the heart of a nation who's not interested in turning. You're going to be a part of that. And when your assignment comes with terms like uproot and tear down in verse 10, destroy and overthrow, build and plant, do you get a little window to perhaps what your life's going to be like? Do you see why the title prophet was thrust upon people? No one went looking to adopt that. You didn't go run around saying, I'm ready to step into the office of prophet over here. And no, no, no. You, you're looking to probably stay in your own lane until God does, God's like, I pick you, I'm pulling you into this, and here's your role in the story. And um, yeah, you're going to need a healthy assignment of the with Godness. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of I'm onlys and not enoughness, depending on where our focus is. And this seems to be a pattern with God. That God invites us in and calls us to step into a vision beyond our resources. Like He steps us into an assignment that's beyond our own ability and our own capacity to fulfill. That's what He's doing. Like, Jeremiah, there's no possible way this young man from Anathoth is going to be able to do what the assignment that God is unfolding, which is why he says, I'm only a child. I'm too young. I'm too inexperienced. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not smart enough. There's just no way, Lord. And it says, yeah, but I'm in the equation, so there is a way. So when God plus is in the equation, and that seems to be the route, like God calls us to something beyond our own capacities and abilities to fulfill. Why? So when the impossible turns to possible, the glory only goes one place. God arranges, He sets up the circumstances, He stacks the deck. Good word for us as a church, perhaps a good word for us personally in our own lives, certainly a good word for us as a community to say, God stacks the deck in such a way, He puts ingredients, environments around us, and He says, okay, here's what I'm asking you to do and step into, and it's going to be initially like, 
Uh, that's way beyond our capacities and abilities to do. Yep. That's right where Jeremiah, that's where we say, God, are you sure? Are you sure, Lord? He says, yeah, I knew you uh, before you knew yourself. I set you apart before you could speak a word. And I appointed you before you did anything yourself. I, I did all these things. I knew you. I set you apart. And I appointed you. And now listen, God sees, like any of us in our human, I love Jeremiah's book. I love his storyline because it's, I call it earthy spirituality. It's so human. Jeremiah's life is so human. It's like real, everyday, human and brokenness. And I put that quote at the top of your notes. We won't read it today, but that Willimon quote, just kind of the, if you're in that space where you're like, where is God in the, the real rough and tumble mess of everyday life, the book of Jeremiah is for you. And there's an earthiness to it. And God sees Jeremiah's struggle to say, I, Jeremiah just can't get his heart and his hands and his head around this. So God says, all right, I'm going to give you two word pictures. Here's where we go in, in chapter one. He gives two word pictures to kind of bolster Jeremiah's faith a little bit. Say, I'm going to give him a little, he needs a little pick me up. So verse 11, here's the first word picture he gives him. He says, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. <laughs> so in verse 12, he said, the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. So I want you to, under, I want you to circle in your Bibles almond, right? Almond is the word shacked. Say shacked. Shacked is the word for almond, the Hebrew word for almond. It's a play on words going on here. So almond and then the word for watching. Circle watching in verse 12. Shoked. Say shoked. So the only difference between the two, I think I put up on the screen, is just one letter. Shacked with an A, shoked with an O in Hebrew. So you see what God says to Jeremiah, which almond trees would have been very prominent, kind of like oak trees in Indiana. So say, hey, Jeremiah, every time you step outside and you look upon a bud of an almond tree, you see an almond tree growing and flourishing, I want you to remember. Every time you see shacked, I want you to remember shoked. Every time you see the almond tree, I want you to remember I'm watching over my word and my promise. Every time you see it. It's like God saying to Jeremiah, like visually all around you, it doesn't depend on you. It didn't start with you. It's not going to really, we're not going to rely on you. You're a part of the equation, but I'm going to watch over my word as surely as you see the buds on these almonds tree flourishing. Shacked, choked. And then verse 13 and 14, he gives him a second one. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north. The Lord answered to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. <laughs> so not a super encouraging image here, right? <laughs> so it's like, he says, okay, you got the almond tree, remember, I'm going to shack. Every time you see the almond tree, shacked, I'm going to choke, I'm going to watch over my word. I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to carry it out. Hold on to that promise. I got it. Jeremiah's like, I got it. And then he sees a boiling pot. And boiling pot is, I want you to think of the boiling pot as like your the wider world of your circumstances being poured out, and maybe not the most encouraging or positive circumstances. In this case, he's talking about this boiling pot from the north. This is the future invasion of Babylon who's going to deport and arrest and take captive and exile the southern kingdom of Judah. So that's where we'll go with some details next week. But this is the preview of what's going to come. It's like the preview of the exile. And so boiling pot, do you see? So the almond tree 
and the boiling pot. Says to Jeremiah, I'm going to give you two images to try to sustain you, to kind of keep you in the throw, in with me in this plan. Remember, I'm drafting you in this. I knew you. I set you apart. I appointed you. And I know you're struggling. I've got the I'm onlys and the not enoughs and the what abouts. You've got all kinds of questions. Yep. And then God says, but look out. See the almond tree. I'm going to watch over my word and see the boiling pot. The boiling pot is like your visible reality. It's a circumstance around. You're going to see some things poured out. And here's the key, right? So he says to Jeremiah, like, this is our almond tree today, church. So this is the almond tree, right? God's word. But what came audibly to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1 now comes in printed pages, 66 books, Genesis to Revelation, written by 40 different authors across 1,500 years, three continents, three languages, all with this unbelievable theme to it, right? There's nothing like this God-breathed book. This is our almond tree today, church. This is where God says, I'll watch over my word. I will preserve. These are my promises. You can stand by this. I'll be true to what I said. I will carry it out. You can hold, this is our anchor. So here's the key. This is our almond tree that we look upon, and this becomes the lens by which we see the boiling pots. We can't let the boiling pots be the lens that you see the almond tree. Application to our lives today, right? We've we got to let God's Word, God's per, we've got to get God's perspective. We've got to get His mind. We've got to see with His eyes upon our boiling pot, wider world realities, personally and collectively. That's what we need. That's what he's saying to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you've got to see what I see so you can be able to interpret the boiling pot realities that are rippling out all around you. Do you see that, church? You following me? And so when you look at the boiling pot, I mean, some of you come in today and you've got boiling pots reality pouring out on the home front. I mean, it's like a boiling pot from the north on your marriage and your parenting and your kids. And you just look at it and you go, what am I supposed to do? And today God would say, take the almond tree with perspective on that boiling pot. And others of you, it's the career front. Over the last 18 to 24 months, so much upheaval in so many professional lives. And you go, Lord, what are you doing with just, it seems like one pot of boiling water after another that seems to be washing away plans and dreams and things that you thought were going to be. What do you do with that? we got to look. we got to see. What are you trying to say? What are you trying to do? For others of you, your physical bodies, you are enduring such boiling pot realities like being poured out on your physical bodies. And you just go, Lord, are you sure? I don't understand. What are you doing? My body just keeps breaking down and coming to an end. And we just go on and on. It could be a ministry reality. It could be emotional and mental health. or just boiling pot and boiling pot and boiling pot being poured out. That's the space where Jeremiah finds himself in. And the hope in that space is that God says, look out shacked the almond tree of my word. I will watch over it in the midst of, which by the way, does not exempt Jeremiah from experiencing a lot of the boiling pot realities. He's just not going to do it alone. He says, I will be with you and that will be enough for you. And in that space, we get a little window into how we're supposed to answer the question, God, are you sure 
Because God calls Jeremiah from Anathoth, Jeremiah has a response to God's call. I'm only, I'm not sure, what about, not enough. And then God has a response to Jeremiah's response. (laughs) Almond tree boiling pot. And you know, that's still true for us today. You know, God has a call for us today, right? God calls us in Jesus. We're first called to Christ, salvation, and we're called to grow in Christ. Bible word, discipleship, spiritual formation, growth. We're called to Christ, we're called to grow in Christ. And then we're called in Jesus to discover our spiritual gifts and deploy them in this world to make a difference. We're called to be salt and light around us. We're called into that space. We're called to run this race, to fight the good fight, to keep the faith, to finish the race. We're called to these things. This is where God comes to us and He has a calling on our life in Jesus. Every single one of us who claim Christ as Lord, there's a calling on your life that is clear from His Word. And like Jeremiah, we've got a response often to God's, God's call. And then God's got a response to our response. Sometimes our response is filled with, I'm all, but God, I'm only. And what about? And I don't understand. And I can't see. And this isn't enough. That's and then God's got a response in to that response. And His response is to us, much like the German, hey, hey, look up. you got to look up. Look up and see what? Like Isaiah, the God who called you, right? Whose train of the robe fills the temples, reigning and ruling from His throne. Psalm 93 says, Yahweh, Malach, this is the God who calls you. Who's surrounded by six-winged seraphs who are taking coals from the altar with tongs. They're like so holy. They're like on fire with holiness, and they're singing before this Lord, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That God sees you, knows you, has called you, has appointed you, has all of the resources available to Him to carry out what it is He's asking you to carry out. That God, look up. And through that almond tree, you see, right, It doesn't diminish the boiling pots. It's just trying to set them in their proper place. Because as we look up, then we hold on to this. God says, I will will be with you. I will help you. I will guide you. I will direct you. I will defend you. I will come through for you. I will do these things. And at the end of the day, like with Jeremiah... Are you sure, Lord? God, are you sure? The answer is God's really secure and really sure. Like there's no like 50-50 with God on these things. But here's the thing. Our humanness, it's okay to be like 50-50 on our response. I mean, sometimes the things the Lord taps me on my shoulder asks me to do, I'm like, I don't know, Lord, 50-50 on this one. Now, it's really bad when I'm doing a marriage And I feel like the bride and the groom are walking down the aisle, and I say to the Lord, 50-50 on this one, Lord. I don't know. That's not good. But you know what I mean? It's okay in our humanness to say, Lord, I don't see. I don't understand. I can't get my arms around it. But here's the key. With the Lord, that doesn't seem to hold Him back. Like my hesitancy, my struggle, my wrestling, my questions, my doubts, it's great. It's human. Beyond that journey, if that's where you're on the journey, you feel like the Lord is tapping, the Lord's been pinging you on some things, He's been nudging you on some fronts, and you've been like, Jeremiah, I just want to go back to Anathoth. 
rest in this. That, that doesn't seem to hinder God. <laughs> you figure this out when He's sovereign? He just kind of, He gets His way. He's really persistent. He's really good at it. And He just keeps tapping. He just keeps working with us. And He keeps bringing us along in our hesitancies and our reluctance. And sometimes even our rebellion doesn't hinder Him from moving His purposes forward. That's the storyline of this book. And that's the storyline of Jeremiah's life. So where right now are you in your place with the Lord saying, God, are you sure? And then right on the backside of that, look up and see a Lord who's completely secure, <laughs> completely confident. I see you. I know you. I set you apart. And I promise I will watch over what I've promised. And then you can bring your hesitancies under that overall framework. And you'll see what Jeremiah began to no, no shock that Jeremiah's book didn't end in chapter 1. It's got lots of chapters following it because he moves forward. And we'll look next week at, it didn't quite unfold like Jeremiah might have envisioned it, but it was exactly in line with what the Lord said was going to happen. God saw, and he was preparing him for what's ahead. And that's next week's reality together. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a young man like Jeremiah in his own humanness and in his own resistance gives us such a picture of just everyday life with you. And so I pray for those even today, maybe some coming, some joining online today, just you've been saying either verbally or quietly in your own mind, God, are you sure? Are you really sure about this? And um, with Jeremiah's life, we just can rest in that you see us, you know us, you've set us apart, you've appointed us, you've called us to things way beyond our own capacities to do and accomplish. And we just desperately need the almond tree of your word to give us perspective on the boiling pots of our circumstances. And I pray that you would lift our eyes up and hold steadfast to the promise that you will watch over and guide and come through and heal and redeem and restore, that you'll get the final word. That Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and all those thought they were sovereign and running the show, um, that your word says, no, you got the last word. And we rest in that today. Give us your perspective on whatever it is we're facing personally and collectively, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.